Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfBand.com. So Romans 3, 21 to 25, this will be the last time we read these five verses in this series, or at least uh, for a while, but the last three weeks we keep going through these same five verses, and that's where we're going to start again today. And it starts out this way, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So before we get to faith, I want to just do a, a, spend a few minutes just reviewing again this incredible truth. These really are some of the most amazing truths in the entire Bible, and I hope they never get old to us. By the, and by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to get old to us, but it starts with justification. Justification is the gift. And it's the act whereby God wipes away the stain and penalty for our sins and puts us in. Not only does he wipe away the stain and the penalty, so he wipes away. We were guilty of these sins and we were in, in, uh, in danger of hell. That's the just punishment for our sins, God's wrath. He wipes away the stain. He wipes away the penalty. Not only does he do that, he also puts us in right standing with himself so that we can talk to him and he can talk to us and he loves us. And he protects us and he's not against us anymore. He's not wrathful with us anymore. That is justification. And it's a gift. It says up there, it's a gift, okay? It's absolutely uh, free. You cannot pay for it. You don't pay for it. And I want to just stop there for a moment again. Imagine, imagine that maybe somewhere in your teens, your early 20s, you did something really, really bad. It was maybe very shameful. And nobody else knows about it. It's all dark. And, uh, but every time you think about it, years later even, if you think about it, you get this kind of like pang in your, in your heart of guilt. Many of you know actually what I'm talking about because many of us have done stuff like this. And, but when you think back to it even years later, it just kind of wrenches your, your gut. And it's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And then imagine, and imagine that whatever it is that you did that was so shameful is actually something you could, you could go to jail for, let's say. And let's say years later after you did this, and, every, and for years now you've been kind of tormented by your conscience about this act, and then years later somebody uh, finds out and, they, and you're going to go to court now. And imagine how you would feel, right? Think about it now for just a little bit, because maybe you're like me and you're not the jail type. Okay? I... I don't know what the jail type is, but I'm not it. And maybe you're like me and you're just not it. And so you think of going to prison and you're like, this is not going to be good for me. And so you're going to stand before the judge and, and, and there's two sides to this. First of all, there's a side of you're really ashamed of what you did. And the second side of it is you're really afraid of what's going to happen to you when the judge puts the sentence down. And so you stand there trembling, trembling with shame, trembling with fear. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be taken away from my family. I'm going to be put in jail for many years. Uh, my life's going to be ruined. All these sorts of things, right? And so you stand there for your sentence, fear and trembling and shame. And then the judge does something totally, uh, uh, you know, unexpected. And he says, not guilty, no jail time. I want you to go home and I want you to go and spend time with your family. 
Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the relief? Like you, you were standing there and you were very afraid of losing everything. And you've been exposed. And now he says, you don't have to go to jail. You can go home to your family. You don't have to be separated. You would be, you would be so grateful. You would be so happy. Now, the thing is, so I said before that there's two sides. There's the shame side. There's the penalty side. On the one side, you would be so happy. Oh, I don't have to go to jail. Everything would be fine that day. You know, Tim Ryan would go through McDonald's that day and they wouldn't have his peppermint mocha and he would still be happy that day <laughs> because it doesn't matter. I don't have to go to, to jail, right? Um, but, you know, on the, but on the other side, it wouldn't fix. So it would fix something. It would really fix the penalty side um, in the terms of you wouldn't have to be afraid. But it wouldn't fix the shame side because there'd still be this niggling thing. After a few days go by, you'd realize you had still done this really bad thing and you would still feel ashamed of it. But what if the judge also told you not only, it's not that he's just uh, not going to send you to jail. He's actually done more than that. The reason he's setting you free from jail is not just because he's saying you're, 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 the thing you did was no big deal. The reason he's setting you free is because someone else actually came along and said, I'm going to take the penalty for them. I'm actually going to make what you did right. So not only are you not going to pay for the penalty, but someone's actually going to pay the penalty for you so that you also don't have to feel guilt. He's actually going to make what you did that was so horrible, he's actually going to make it it, not, not, that it's, it, not that it's good what you did, but he's actually going to pay the penalty for it so that it's actually okay. Things have been made right. And so now not only do you not have, not only do, now do you have the relief that you don't have to go to prison, you don't have to pay the penalty, you also have tremendous relief when you go to bed at night because you also don't have to feel guilt anymore over what you did. Not because you deserve it, not because you paid for it or somehow earned it, but purely as a gift. And you say, well, how has this gift been paid for? And that's what we talked about four weeks ago was propitiation, was Jesus not only set us free from the penalty of hell so we can feel the relief. I don't have to go to hell. I don't have to suffer the punishment for my sins. Jesus did more than that. He also actually made it right. He actually took the penalty for your sins. It's not that God said your sin doesn't matter. It's that God said, your sin does matter, but my son is going to step under it and take the punishment for it, so that sin will get punished. And because that sin actually does get punished, you no longer even need to feel bad about it. It's not that we've just been released from going to hell. It's that we don't even need to carry guilt around with us anymore because our sins have actually been punished. They've actually been paid for. Now that is an unbelievable truth. Now, the sad thing is, many of us as Christians continue to carry around guilt. And of course, there's an appropriate kind of guilt. Um, it's not that we should never have guilt in our lives. Guilt is, a, is an indicator that I've done something wrong and I need to make it right, right? So if I do something wrong, I should feel guilt uh, until I repent to Jesus, confess it. That's what our set-free retreats are about. That's why we do confession of sin. Uh, until I go back to the person that I hurt and I make it right, there is appropriate guilt, you know, if you steal something or lie, you should feel guilt until you repent to God and go back to the person you did it to or adultery or whatever, and you make things right. That's appropriate guilt. What I'm talking about, though, is inappropriate guilt, which is even long after you've said sorry a thousand times to God, you said sorry to the people you've hurt, and years later, you continue to carry around this awful burden of guilt. Many Christians, and I know there's probably a number of you in here today who have that problem, you continue. 
You gave your life to Christ years ago, but there are shameful things in your past that you have said sorry to God literally a thousand times, two thousand times, but you just can't get relief from this sense of guilt. You just carry this guilt around with you. And I've talked to people, for example, I'll just use some specifics because sometimes it just helps to get specifics in there. But I've talked to women over the years, several different women uh, from this church who in years past had abortions. And now they've long given their lives to Christ and, and he's radically changed them. And they've said sorry to him, you know, hundreds of times. And they just, but they just can't get rid of this sense of, oh, I can't believe I actually killed my baby. I just can't believe I killed my baby. Like, nothing can wash away that shame, right? But the thing you have to realize is, and this is the so important thing, it's not that when God saves us, it's not that he says that what you did wasn't bad. And this is so important. I think this is a key, and the Holy Spirit has to really help us, but this is a key to get, getting rid of guilt. Because we almost think it's like he only did one half. He just got rid of the penalty. But what I did was still so shameful and horrible, I still have to carry that around with me. But what we have to realize is that when God forgave you, he didn't just get rid of the penalty. He didn't say your sin was no big deal. When Jesus went on the cross, this is propitiation. Propitiation is Jesus actually took on himself all of the wrath, all of the punishment that was due you for your sins. And that even includes things as bad as killing your baby. So God isn't saying killing your baby is, a, is an okay thing. It's a fine thing. It's not a fine thing. It's not an okay thing. It's a horrible thing. But that's why he sent Jesus to die. Amen. See, and God even knows, it's not the same as abortion, but God actually knows a little bit of what you feel because he sent his son with the express purpose of dying. And because Jesus died and experienced all of the wrath of God on him, that means it's not just that God said your sin was no big deal. It's that God said your sin is a big deal and only I can pay for it. And so at a certain point, we have to really seek the Holy Spirit because when we refuse to forgive ourselves, what we're really saying in effect is, we don't think we're saying this, but what we're really saying in effect is Jesus' death wasn't enough. That's what we're saying. When I continue to carry around guilt long after I've said sorry to God and I've said sorry to others and done whatever I can to make things right if I've hurt others, when I continue to carry around guilt, what I'm really saying for these past decisions that we've made is I'm saying Jesus didn't, either didn't suffer enough. Like, are we saying Jesus needs to, needed to suffer more? Was, being, was the Son of God being brutally whipped and nailed to a cross and hanging there in agony for hours and then lying in a tomb for three days, was that not enough suffering? How much more did he need to suffer in order to pay for your sin? And the answer is, he didn't need to suffer anymore. He suffered enough. And was he not good enough? Was he not God in human flesh? Was he not absolutely pure and infinitely holy? He absolutely was good enough. So if he was good enough and if he suffered enough, then at a certain point, by faith, we have to receive this gift where Jesus says, propitiation, I paid the penalty for your sin, which means not only are you saved from hell, you're also saved from guilt. Justification, you are in right standing with him. The charges against you have been acquitted. Propitiation, your sins were actually paid for. You no longer need to carry around a burden of guilt. Let that sink in for just a moment. 
In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I've been justified, okay? Some of you didn't say it with enough conviction. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I've been justified. <laughs> like, do you actually believe that? I've been justified. That's amazing. I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you now again. Which is, sometimes you've got to say things to get them into you. Say, none of my sins are too big for Jesus. You believe that? You should have a bit of a smile. Somebody's like, none of my sins are too big for Jesus. No, none of my sins are too big for Jesus. And, it, and I know that sometimes you can't just get this by getting it in your head. You can't just get it from a message. And I've got some stuff in the weekly challenge after. You may need to pray with someone. You need to may come in for personal ministry. We've got the set free retreat at the end of January. That's why we do these things. And God actually ministers through these things, speaks to your heart. So it's not just up here, but it actually gets into your heart. But starting to talk about them and pray about them, that's something you can actually pray in prayer and fasting month. Some of you need to put on your prayer and fasting card, I'm sick and tired of carrying around this guilt, and you start praying about it. Lord, I need to be able to receive your forgiveness by faith. Would you bring this home to me? For some of you, you've been carrying around that guilt for so long, and you don't even know that that could be a prayer request. This could be the most amazing answer to prayer you've ever had. To, get, to be able to go to bed at night and not feel any shame to not feel any fear. Justified because it's paid for by propitiation. So we've got the gift, that's justification, charges acquitted against you, you're in right standing with God. The payment, how is the gift paid for? Propitiation. How is it received now? The question is, how do we receive it, right? Because is this gift just given to everybody on planet Earth? And the answer is no. It's not like, you know, just automatically you're born as a human being, automatically you're born, you're justified. It's a gift and it's free and it's already been paid for, but not everybody receives the gift. You actually have to, each person must actually call out to God and receive it and that's where faith comes in. Faith is a very important part of this whole salvation plan. The gift is amazing. The payment has been paid in full. That's propitiation. But in order to receive it, we must have faith. We must have faith. And if we keep reading here in Romans 3, 23 to 25, we'll see that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So the gift is available to every man, woman, and child, regardless of what you've done. See, the thing is, again, because God is infinitely holy and infinitely pure and infinitely good. See, Jesus was not just a man. It's very important that he was God. If he was just a man, then he's finite, and he can't pay for everybody's sins. He can't pay for the really, really, really bad, evil ones. But if he's God, he's infinitely good. He's infinitely loving. He's infinitely powerful. By him being sacrificed, he can pay for all sins, which means it's available. This gift is available to every single one of us, even people who have killed their babies, who have done horrible sexual things, who have been violent, who have been angry, who have been abusive, who have been all these things. The gift is available to absolutely everybody, but you must receive it by faith. You must receive it by faith. You must ask for it and receive it. So the question then is, what is faith? The term has been used by many different people to mean many different things. And even within the scriptures, it, it, it can be used slightly differently uh, for various different things. What we're talking about here is, is what is faith you know, with regards to salvation? What does that mean? 
And again, because the word faith gets used so much in many different Christian circles, a lot of people don't actually realize what does it mean that we're saved by faith? What, is, what does this word faith mean? Well, Paul's going to go into a discussion of that now in the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to find out one thing that it is not, and then we're going to find out in chapter 4 one thing that it is. Okay? And of course, there's more to it than that, but we're just going to look at those two things today. So if we keep reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? So here we learn the first thing about salvation by faith. Salvation by faith is not works. Okay? It's not works. This is very good news. Some of this, again, is elementary. Some of you have heard these truths a thousand times, but the fact of the matter is that sometimes it hasn't sunk in very deep. The fact that salvation is by faith and that faith is apart from works of the law means that our salvation is totally and completely apart from anything you do or have done or can do or, or have done. It's totally apart from anything you've done. Okay? And I, I want to take this a bit further even to help you see this. It's apart from works of the law, which means it's just plain a separate thing. Sometimes people have this idea that if I could, and of course we all know it's impossible, but some people have this idea that if I could keep all the commandments in here. Like let's say uh, uh, you, you memorize the whole Bible and you're a really good person. Of course, we all know this is impossible, but even just imagining that it was possible. Imagine you could memorize the whole Bible and every day you kept every single command. There's a lot of Christians out there that think if you could do that, which is impossible, but if you could do that, then you would be saved. But actually, Paul says here that salvation is utterly apart from works, which means that they're two separate things. Even if you could obey every single command in here all the time, you still wouldn't be saved because salvation is not about works. Even if you could keep all this, it's not just about being perfect. Salvation isn't about being perfect. It's a blessing we're going to get one day when we, are, when we get our resurrected bodies that we're not going to sin anymore. But salvation and works are two separate things because salvation is apart from works. So, uh, it, I mean, imagine it this way. I always like to share a little... Analogies. Imagine someone said to me, the reason you've never won a Super Bowl ring is because you're, you don't have a billion dollars. Well, they would be right that I do not have a billion dollars. And they're right that it would be impossible for me to ever earn a billion dollars unless you guys really pray next year and give an awesomely big Christmas offering, okay? <laughs> Just nervous laughter, that's it? You're like, is he taking a cut? No, okay? Just in case there's any misunderstandings. But even if I could, so yeah, is it impossible for me to get a billion dollars? Unless I change jobs radically, I'm never going to make a billion dollars. And even if I did change jobs, I'm pretty sure it's beyond my capability to make a billion dollars. But even if I did make a billion dollars, that wouldn't get me a Super Bowl ring, would it? It wouldn't make me a better football player, and it wouldn't get me put on a good foot, uh, on a Super Bowl winning team. There's lots of billionaires out there in the world today that don't have Super Bowl rings, okay? Why? Because having a billion dollars and be a Super Bowl winner are two different things. And it's the same with works and salvation. 
You can do all kinds of good works, or on the other hand, you can have done all kinds of bad works, and it doesn't mean anything about salvation because salvation is apart from works. They're two different things. If in my marriage, if I go out and do all kinds of good deeds, let's say I go out every day and I do all kinds of good deeds. I shovel everybody's driveways. I help old grannies across the street. I give my life for the poor, and I come home every night exhausted, sleep a couple hours, and then I get up and I do more good works. Would I have a good marriage? I wouldn't have a good marriage, but I'm doing all these good works. I'm doing lots of good works. What are you talking about? I should have a good marriage if I do good works, right? No, because having a good marriage is apart from doing good works like that. If I want to have a good marriage, I need to look my wife in the eye sometimes and spend some time with her. I need to romance her. Amen, someone says. Okay, write that down. Right? I need to spend time with her. I need to do things with her that are conducive to building a good marriage because having... Now, our doing good works is great. I need, we need to do good works. We need to take care of the poor. We need to help shovel people's driveways if, it's, if the snow is not too deep and we have time to do our own, right? So um, there's all these things that are good to do, but doing good works and having a good marriage are not the same. They're, they're two separate things. And it is the same with salvation, Running around and doing a bunch of good works doesn't save you. On the flip side, the fact that you've done some horrible things in your life doesn't disqualify you from receiving salvation because those are two separate things. Salvation is apart from works. Now, of course, this does not mean that good works are not important. And there are many teachers out there and authors who have taken this way too far. And based on some misinterpretations of a couple of verses, they say, actually, the law has been canceled. It no, you know, the Ten Commandments no longer applies to us as believers. We don't have to follow all that sort of stuff because it's not about works. Well, it's right that works and salvation are not the same thing, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a very important place in the Christian life where faith is expressed through good works. And Paul himself says, just a couple of verses later, in this very same chapter, and I want to bring this to light because a lot of these, the law has been canceled people, also ignore vast swaths of the scripture. Verse 31, people were accusing Paul of the same thing. They were saying, Paul's teaching that we don't need to obey the law anymore, which is ridiculous. Paul says this, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And at some point in this series, too, we'll probably jump over into James and I'll show you that real faith will produce good works. Absolutely, 100%. And if it doesn't, it's not saving faith. But works and salvation are separate. We must obey the law. It's important that we not murder. It's important that we not commit adultery. It's important that we not lie and covet. But here's the difference. You say, well, what does this mean then if it's important, but the salvation is apart from the works? Let me tell you what it means. It means that the focus of the Christian life is not trying to do enough good things to earn God's favor. That's what it means. Really, really important, okay? His favor, his grace, and his forgiveness are all gifts. You just have to receive them by faith. You can't earn them, okay? But on the other hand, we do want to do right. But the reason we want to do right is different now. I don't get up every morning with this heavy burden of, I really need to do enough good things. I'm not close enough to God. I don't pray enough. I've done some bad things recently. I had some lustful thoughts yesterday. We got angry with the kids, blah, blah. And now you get up every morning with this burden of, I'm distant from God. And it becomes a vicious cycle because I feel distant from God. Therefore, I don't even go into his presence to pray to him because I just feel like I'm not worthy, and I almost feel like I have to go a few weeks to try and do enough good things to where I can pray again. 
And so we go through, this Christian, through a Christian life with this burden of having to earn his favor. And that's exactly the wrong focus. It's the wrong approach. Because it's a gift, what that means is it doesn't mean that I ignore my sin. What it means is that when I sin, I repent and confess. Oh, God, I hate that I do that. But thank you, thank you that your grace is a gift. And I bounce right back and I put my focus on Jesus. And I just go right back into his presence. I get up every morning. I have to do it again. It's not something you only do once. It's not like one time I receive God's grace by faith. Every day, we're, see, we're steeped in this culture, performance mentality, that in our culture, people only like you based on what you do. And some of you grew up in unhealthy families with dads who were maybe not very loving or generous. And so your only picture of God is he's very angry and very performance-oriented. And so every day by faith, this is where faith comes in, is every day, not just once in my life, but every day by faith I have to get up and say, yesterday was a mess because I am a mess. But today I stand in faith again that he receives me into his presence because his grace is a gift. And then when I mess up, I say, sorry. Oh, I go to the set free again. I check off the boxes. I say, dear God, that's horrible. And I repent. But I bounce back. I put my, my eyes on him. See, in the end, we have to focus more on the grace of God than on our own weakness. Did you know that? Because if you, if you only focus on your weakness, here's the thing. All of us are incredibly weak. Did you know that? All of us are incredibly messed up. If you spend all your time thinking about how messed up you are, you're not going to be able to run the race to the end. That is too heavy a burden to carry. You're going to get exhausted. You won't have the joy of the Lord. You won't have victory. You just feel overwhelmed constantly. What we need to do is remember that his grace is a gift that Jesus paid for it. When you put the focus on how good he is and how wonderful, and yes, when I sin, I feel horrible, and sometimes there's deeply entrenched sins, and we need to pray and fast, and we need to get help, and we need to go to war with those sins, but we go to war with them from a place of he, he has accepted me, he has forgiven me, he loves me, and now with his approval on me, I'm going to attack these sins, not from the angle of I'm horrible, he doesn't like me, I'll never overcome this. Do you see the difference? Hugely, hugely important. Of course, your flesh will be screaming at you every day. You don't deserve it. God's not happy with you. Just give up. You're not a spiritual person. And right there again, it's by faith. By faith, by faith, we stand in it again. By faith today, I stand in it again. Thank you that your grace is a gift. Thank you that you paid for it. Thank you that you accept me. And I open my mouth in prayer. And the moment I do, Jesus, because of Jesus, I go right into the presence of God. And he accepts me. It's amazing. You know, one of the best stories in the Bible of salvation by faith without works is the story of the thief on the cross of Jesus in Luke 23. Amen. And I'm just going to read it. Let's look at it. Verse 39, Luke 23, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. That's Jesus saying, are you not the Christ, the Messiah? Christ is just a Greek word for Messiah. So are you not the Messiah? They knew who, they knew who he claimed to be. They knew who people were saying he was. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now this is amazing to me. Uh, again, these are criminals. It tells us in Matthew that these guys were robbers. And robbers are not, like, don't think of that like shoplifters. Like, these weren't guys that just, you know, picked up some candy bars from the store. Robbers in that day, these were violent men. They were usually along the highways, the Roman highways. They would attack people, often killing them. 
uh, or you know, severely injuring them, wounding them in order to take whatever they had. Okay, these were bad men, and people were sometimes scared to travel because of these kinds of robbers. These are, both these guys are very bad men. Okay, they're hanging on the cross. How, the one guy is making fun of Jesus. How does the other guy know that Jesus is innocent? I mean, it's just amazing to me, but somehow he, there's something in him. He's been a horrible man. He's done terrible things, and he's now dying for doing those terrible things. But as he hangs on the cross, the Holy Spirit is at work in his heart. He has a receptive heart somehow, and he looks at Jesus, and he knows that Jesus is actually who he says he is, and he knows he's innocent. It's amazing. And so he said, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And uh, I love there, it's not, even, it's not any formulas. He doesn't know what to pray. He doesn't ask Jesus into his heart. Like, none of the formulas, right? Just, just remember me. He doesn't know what to say. But I just know you're innocent. And I know you're the Messiah. And I don't even know, does he understand what the Messiah is? He, he knows he's a king. Does he know that he's the son of God? He probably doesn't have a full and complete understanding of who Jesus is. But he knows enough. I like you. You're innocent. You're different than me. And I want to be with you in your kingdom. So he just says, remember me. That's all he says. And I want you to see the astonishing generosity of Jesus. Here is a man who has not done anything right. He has been horrible and wicked up to this very minute. In fact, he's dying. And he's not going to be able to give Jesus a single thing. He's going to die, whatever it is, a few hours later, whenever, or the next day. So he's right in the act of dying. He's never going to lead anyone to Christ. He's never going to lead a cell. He's never going to spend hours in prayer. This is like maybe the first prayer he's ever prayed in his life. He's a horrible, wicked, corrupt man, but he sees in Jesus, you are innocent, and I want to be with you in your kingdom. And the shocking generosity of God. There isn't another religion in the world that is like this. If, if Islam is true, this man is seriously hooped. Because according to Islam, it's good, it's good actions versus bad actions. He's done. He's never going to equal out that balance. Well, none of us will, but for sure this guy is not going to equal out the balance. If Hinduism is true, he's going to be reincarnated back as a dirty toilet bowl or a grasshopper or an earthworm. Something is punishment for living such a bad life. Right? It won't be good. <laughs> Whatever. I don't think that's true to Hinduism, but somewhere in there, well, we'll see. It's not good anyway. Okay. But it's not going to be good. But the real God, who actually is holy and pure and righteous and good, astonishing generosity looks at him. Now think about this. Jesus is right at this moment dying for this man's sins. He is right now abandoned by God the Father. God the Father abandoned him on the cross so he could feel the full wrath of God for our sins. He has been abandoned by the Father. He's all by himself. He's being crushed beneath the wrath of God for this very man's sin. This man will never do anything good for him in this lifetime. He never has done anything good for him. And in that moment, Jesus looks across at him and we see the shining generosity of our Lord and Savior. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen. That, is, that is shocking. Now here's the thing. This man, we never get to see how this man's faith would have changed his life because he never got to come down off the cross alive. We never got to see that when a man, when a person gives their life to Jesus, it actually changes them. It's not just a religion, it's actually real. We don't get to see how it would have changed his life. Also, this guy, because he died later that day or the next day or sometime very shortly thereafter on the cross, because he died shortly thereafter, he never had to fight the fight, the fight of faith. He never had to persevere. 
He, he just had to give his life to Jesus this one time, and later that, we're going to meet him in heaven someday, and we're going to talk to him and love him and be with him forever. The difference between that thief on the cross and us is we have to get up every day, and the flesh comes at us again and says, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, and every day we have to, by faith, stand in it again and say, Jesus has accepted me because the same grace that Jesus ex extended to that thief on the cross, the same grace is extended to you and I each and every day afresh. But the flesh comes in and says, no, 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 no. You had a bad day yesterday. You had a bad week yesterday. You know, last week you had a bad month. You're not spiritual enough. You don't pray enough. So God doesn't really care about you. You need to just kind of ignore him and not think about him because it's just going to give you bad feelings. And it's right there by faith we can go into the presence of God boldly, it says in Hebrews, into the very presence of God the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not based on our feelings. Because salvation is not by works. It's a gift that is grace. So now we know what faith isn't. It's not works. Let's move on now to see one thing that faith is. As we move into chapter 4 now, Romans 4 verses 1 to 3, Paul goes on to continue to describe this thing of faith. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about it, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here we say, so we saw faith is, salvation by faith is not salvation by works. It's apart from works. Here we see that salvation has something to do with believing. Okay, now I want you to notice that it does not say Abraham believed about God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says Abraham actually believed God personally, like directly. He wasn't sitting in a church service and somebody else, third person, talked about God to him and he believed what that per facts about what that person was saying. He believed God. He had a relationship with God and he believed God. God told him something. He believed it. See, this is really important. We're actually going to go to Genesis 15 in just a moment because Paul is quoting out of Genesis 15 a story about Abraham. And we're going to go look at it. Okay, but this is really important because a lot of Christians in the West have taken this belief thing to be, it's like learning you know, stuff for your university, you know, computer class or whatever, you memorize a bunch of facts, it doesn't touch your heart, you just got to pass the test so you can get through that class and go on to the next one. So we believe, believing God, salvation is, I just go to church, maybe I've gone to church all my life, I sort of have this set of beliefs I, I kind of inherited from my parents, or just sort of in the air all around me in the church, and I went to church all the time. I have no experience of God. I've never actually really sacrificed anything in my life for him to really follow him or hear his voice or any of that. But I believe about him, therefore I'm saved. That is not what Paul is talking about here. He said Abraham believed God. He believed God directly and was counted him as righteous. Well, let's, let's go to Genesis 15 and let's see this quote that Paul has of Abraham, what's happening in the story. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay, Abram, those of you who are maybe new Christians or something, Abram, Abraham started out as Abram. His name hasn't been changed yet. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be, shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, like one of his servants, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
And he, that's God, brought him outside. So he takes him out of his tent. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And that was, you know, a lot more amazing back then when you didn't have all these bright lights on, right? Like here in Steinbeck, I can count the stars pretty easily. I can see like one plus the moon. And, uh, <laughs> but then, but about, you know, if you're out in the bush, right, and then you can just see stars, millions of them, okay? And number them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And now, so look at this. So they are having a conversation. They're not having a doctrine theology class. And then Abraham says, yeah, I believe that stuff. Sure, that's great. And then I just go on with my life however I want to go on with it. Abraham, is ha he has a relationship with God. God's talking to him. God tells him something. And now look at this. And he, that's Abraham, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. That part I have underlined there is the, is the part that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4. So I want to look at two things about belief, saving belief. Okay? Two things. What is saving belief as a part to just having mind memorizing something for a test belief? First thing, saving belief is relational belief. Abraham's belief is belief that came out of relationship. So important here. He knew God personally, okay? God was speaking to him, and already he had done stuff with God. This is already, you know, in Genesis 12, God says, I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you, to go to the land of Canaan. So Abraham left everything that was, that was familiar. He left his family. He left his, you know, brothers and sisters and dad and mom and all that sort of stuff, and he was already following God. And, and, but now God comes and talks to him, and he says something to him, gives him a promise, and Abraham trusts what God tells him. It's a relational belief. And God looks at that trust. See, we think of works often as the, as the wrong things. We think God's looking for how many hours did you pray and how much did you do this and how da 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 And God just looks at Abraham. And, and was Abraham perfect? Not even close. Okay, this is a man who told, uh, I forget what the guy's name was. I should have put this in the notes, but you know, somewhere, just read the book of Genesis again. I always say that, but uh, he, he goes to this place and then the guy, he, his Sarah was very beautiful even in her 90s. And... Uh, and he's afraid that these guys are going to, you know, kill him to take his wife. So he lies and says she's his sister. Like, wow, what a great man of God, right? And, and I mean, he slept with his, with his servant. That was, you know, sinful and stupid. And lots of, like, he's not a perfect man, not even close. The Bible doesn't portray him as perfect. But God speaks to him, and he trusts him. He says, oh, I believe, yeah, I'm going to trust you. You're going to give me kids? Wow. And God looks at that trust and says, oh, that's righteousness right there. Amen. Is he perfect? Not even close. But God looks past the imperfection and says, he has a heart after me. He wants to follow me. He trusts me. We have a relationship. That's righteousness. That's saving belief. Hugely, hugely important. And then the second thing is, it was belief that sparked a lifetime of following. So it's not just a relational belief. It's belief that sparks a lifetime of following. I was going to just say that it was belief that sparked obedience, but I decided against it because I know some of you would freak out because then every time you make a mistake, you would think, oh, I didn't obey, therefore I don't have saving belief, maybe I'm not saved. I know that's how some of you think. But if you have saving belief, it's first of all, it's going to drive you to relationship. It's going to drive you to relationship with God. It's not something you're just going to sit on the sideline and learn about God and then live your own life and not care about Him. It's going to drive you to actually want to know Him, just like Abraham wanted to know God. And if you have saving belief, it's going to do another thing. It's going to spark something in you. It's not going to make you perfect. You're going to make lots of mistakes, and you're going to sin lots, and you're going to have to say sorry lots. You will sin lots. That doesn't mean you're not saved. 
But if you actually have a relationship with Jesus and you love him, you're going to be able to look back over your life and you're going to see that that belief sparked something. It wasn't a one-time thing. Abraham's belief in God was not a one-time thing. It was tested over the course of his lifetime. It was tested when God said, I want you to leave everything that's familiar and I want you to go over there. It was tested years later in Genesis 22 when God said, I want your only son, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him, and Abraham will be obeyed. His belief wasn't a one-time thing. It was a lifelong relationship that was tested throughout his life. And I'm not saying it's going to get tested every day. It's not like God has to speak to you every single day and give you instructions. You've got to obey, and you start to get all freaked out. I don't know if I've obeyed enough in this week. And, but over the course of your lifetime, you'll be able to look back and see that your belief has sparked something in you that made you actually want to follow Jesus. You can actually look back over your life and see there was decisions there that I made because I felt God was leading me. There's decisions I made that were painful, sacrificial. It wasn't the easy thing to do, but I did that because I actually want to serve Jesus. I did that because it wasn't the easy thing. It was actually really hard. It was actually really scary, but I did that because I felt he was leading me to do it. I did that because I want to advance his kingdom. I did that. You'll be able to look out over your lifetime. Saving belief will spark a lifetime of following him. It won't be perfect life. It won't be a life necessarily where you feel like you're hearing him every single day, but over the course of your life, you'll see these decisions you'll be able to point to where you left things to follow him. It is not a belief just in your mind where you just sit in church every week and the rest of the week you just live for yourself. That's not saving belief. It's a relational belief that will cause you to want to know God, that will cause you to want to hear him. And you may not hear him as spectacularly as Abraham did with all the visions and, and physical manifestations and things like that. But you will hear his voice. You said, my sheep hear my voice. There'll be something inside your heart when you have saving belief that will make you want to follow him, that will make you want to know him, and there will be decisions. There will be lots of imperfections and places where you made mistake and maybe places of dry spots. But over the course of your life, you'll be able to see someone with saving faith. That is a person who has made decisions and has done hard things and painful things and sacrificial things because they wanted to follow God. It's not just go to church every week. Belief. So here's my challenge to you this week. I'm going to give you a couple of things. I double-dog dare you to do these things. Number one, <laughs> for those of you who that helps anything, I dare you this week to tell God every day, just pray this little prayer. My life is yours. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me where you want me to go. Just, I dare you. Eat. Pray that prayer and then listen, see what he says. He might say nothing. You might pray one prayer day, you just hear nothing. You might pray a whole week, you hear nothing. That doesn't mean he's not responding to the prayer. I guarantee you, this, that's a prayer of faith right there. That's what faith is. I want to give my life to you and follow you. That's what it is. I tell you, you pray a prayer like that to him, he will respond. It might not happen within the first week. It might not happen the first day. But he has heard that prayer and he is already beginning to answer. Just pray it. You, wanna, you want your life to come along? You know why, for many of you, your Bible reading and your prayer is so boring? It's because you haven't really, get, really given your life all out to him. And so he's not even hardly meeting with you. He's not speaking to you because he knows you're not going to do anything about it. You say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And you begin to pray that and you begin to want to want that. You may not even really want it. You may even tell him. You may pray that prayer. And I've done this many times. Lord, I'm a little scared about praying this prayer. Could you please be gentle? Not really sure why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Can you please protect me? And then you just kind of blurt it out. 
But when you actually go to God and you say, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go, my life is yours, you will find, when that actually clicks in your heart, this book comes alive and suddenly the Holy Spirit is all over you in your prayer time. Amen. That's faith. That's how we receive the gift. And then the second thing, if you are carrying around guilt today from some things in your past, I would just, I would ask, just, you've been carrying these things around for years and you said sorry again and again and again. Just go to the prayer room after this service and ask for prayer. So it doesn't just go because you heard a message, because you heard some truth. You've you, you got to get prayer. And, and then I would, I would highly encourage you. We've got staff and volunteers who are trained here to do personal ministry. Call the office this week and make an appointment for personal ministry. Go for prayer right now, then make an appointment for personal ministry. Jesus died not only to save you from hell, but to save you from guilt. You don't have to carry it around. And you can get prayer with someone right after the service, and then you can get prayer again during the week, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit can speak to you through that. It'll be amazing. I want to pray for you now, and then we're going to sing a song. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would cause saving faith to rise up in every single person in this room today. That an insatiable hunger to know you and walk with you and hear your voice would bubble up within each and every person here this morning. That a desire to follow you, Jesus, would take hold of us and set our devotional times on fire. That we're not called to an easy life. We're not called to the entertainment life and the easy way out life and the life of ease. We're called to a life of service and following, which on the front end might be harder but on the back end, it just has way more joy. Pray that you would deliver us from guilt, deliver us from shame. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.